that really what you're doing when you stay for retirement is you're giving the gift to your future self. Same thing when you take the time and you're like, listen, my mental health is not great right now. I need to go and take care of that. That's a good thing because life is long. If you look at your physical health and you're saying, I am not healthy and I need to get healthy. You're giving the gift to your future self by denying what you would normally do now. Have you heard of what's called delayed gratification? It's the idea of putting off something good with a view of a greater reward in the future. Pastor Daniel is going to talk about that in his teaching today. You'll learn that this concept is one that God encourages his followers to use a lot. The system of the world pretty much hates the idea. Instead, it tries to get you to grasp for everything you think you want. Now, you only have to live once, right? (laughs) Now here's Pastor Daniel in Psalms chapter 23 as he continues his message, Finding Home. David calls the presence of God goodness and mercy. See, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so there was a cultural version of Christianity that I was raised in, but there was no relationship. There was no like, man, God is good. God's going to do good work. It's just like, man, just don't get in trouble. You know, that was kind of what I was raised with. But when I think back to when I didn't know the Lord, there was that part of me that thought, man, God, God's not good. And when I came to know Jesus, I'm like, how could I ever believe the lie that God isn't good? But what I realized as I reflected on it more, because I realized some of you think that, like, how could God be good? And what you realize is that God being good does not mean that only good things happen because God lets all of us make choices. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm like, I wish God just wouldn't let any of us make choices and nobody would be hurting and everything would be wonderful. And that's true. But then we wouldn't be human. So what you realize is God's goodness is the fact that all that God does is good to the core. And God's mercy is the Hebrew word hesed, which literally means God's faithfulness to his covenant with his people. That God has made promises and God is going to have covenant faithfulness with us. The picture, of course, when you think of a covenant faithfulness is a faithful spouse. Somebody who's committed their life to someone else and is being faithful to do that. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of God's goodness and mercy. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, Because God is rich in mercy, because of his great love and his goodness, although we were 
blind, he gave us sight. Although we were dead in our trespasses and sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, he made us alive together with Christ. If you're here today and you say, I am a Christian, I am born again, I am a child of God, you were dead and because of God's rich mercy, he made you alive together. He raised us up to life. And the beauty of the Christian faith is not like, well, dude, I raised myself up. No, you didn't. Don't get me wrong. You responded to his grace, but he did all of the effectual work. And it's because of his goodness and his mercy. I think of what it says in Psalm 136, verse 1. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his Mercy endures forever. It says, we should praise God. We should give thanks to God because God is what? He's good. And God's mercy endures forever. I believe that there are many of us that we need to start remembering that God's presence is vigorous in our lives. God's presence is vigorous when we get a diagnosis we don't want. God's presence is vigorous when we lose the job we had or we don't get the promotion we hoped for. God's presence is vigorous when we grieve losses. And God's presence is vigorous when everybody abandons us. I always think of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts in a Philippian jail, praising God. And I think to myself, how's that possible? Because if there's no doubt that goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives, and if we're in stocks in a prison, there's a reason to praise. And I believe that for all of us, because of the cultural malaise in which we live in today, because of the spirit of the age, whatever the words we use for where we're living, I believe that followers of Jesus who are filled with hope, knowing that God's presence is vigorous, even in the issues. Talk about being salt and light. Talk about being a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And it's not burying our heads in the sand to the issues of the world. It's just remembering that he who is in us is what? Greater than he who is in the world. I want you to just take your pen. I want you to underline verse six in your neighbor's Bible. Go ahead, just circle it for him. Circle it, just just, just go in there, just like highlight that thing. Just slide in there and just be like, there it is. God's presence is vigorous. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I want to encourage you, if you're in one of those seasons, and listen, we all are. No, no, I like to say, no one here is perfect, except for Jesus. All the rest of us is growing, at best. But if you're one of those people who's struggling to stay hopeful in the journey, if there's the stuff that's going on, it's hard. After service, tell someone, say, listen, man, I really need to work on that hope-filled mindset. I need to remember that God's goodness and mercy is pursuing me all the days of my life. Now, speaking of that, don't miss this. 
Notice it says, all the days of my life, this is going to happen. And then by the end, it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. What does this teach us? It teaches us that God's promises are eternal. It's so simple. And if you've been in church for even a minute, you've heard about eternal and eternity and ages upon ages without end. The word forever means for the length of days or to the end of days. But the reality is, is the promise of God for us in Christ Jesus is not just goodness and mercy all the days of our lives live, but all the days of days of days, all of eternity. And we have to remember that in all of the urgency of the present, there always needs to be decisions that are made for the future. Listen, as I've gotten older, this has become more important to me. Because when I was young, I was your classic young person, which means that all I wanted to do was the next thing that seemed fun. And I remember I studied psychology in college. Don't hold it against me. I was just trying to figure out how I got like this. <laughs> but I remember like hearing the studies about delayed gratification. They did all these studies with little kids, and they said, listen... Here's a cookie and you can eat it. But if you don't eat it for 10 minutes, we'll give you two cookies. And what they found is when they followed these kids, the kids who ate the first cookie versus the kids who waited the 10 minutes to get the two cookies, the kids who practiced delayed gratification were happier and healthier and all these different things like 20 years later. And what I realized is that part of maturing, and everyone's just looking away right now. You're like, I don't want to talk about this, Fusco. I get it. Welcome to church. We're going to talk about things we don't want to talk about. Part of maturing is realizing that sometimes you need to make decisions now that your future self will thank you for. And neglecting the future version of you is pretty unwise. So this happens in every single area of our lives. Where like, for the child of God, there are things that we may want to do that we choose not to do because we know that if I do those things, then the outcome means I'm going to feel separated from God, even though he's always with me. I'm going to numb myself to God's presence, which I really want God's presence. And I really do want to grow because when I grow and I have a robust faith, then I'm happy. And life has meaning and purpose. I live differently, wholeheartedly. So I'm going to choose to read my Bible instead of doom scroll this morning. I'm going to choose to pray rather than just run into the day. And really what you're doing is you're giving your future self the gift of the deposit you made in the present. Now, this is true for things like retirement. Now, I don't know about you, but everyone I know who works can't wait to retire. Those of you who are retired are like, yeah, party at my house all night, you know? But the thing is, is to save for retirement, you have to not spend all of your money in the present so that your future self can enjoy yourself or just live normally when you're not working. And I was just reading an article about the retirement levels of Americans, and it was pretty challenging. And you're just like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work. But you realize that really what you're doing when you stay for retirement is you're giving the gift to your future self. Same thing when you take the time and you're like, listen, my mental health is not great right now. I need to go and take care of that. That's a good thing. Because life is long. 
If you look at your physical health and you're saying, I am not healthy and I need to get healthy, you're giving the gift to your future self by denying what you would normally do now. Now, I bring all this up because so much of our lives in Christ and growing in our faith is us saying, I am not gonna do certain things that I want to do now because I realize that eternity with God is important and that desire to know God and walk with him is more important than all of these other things. I was just talking to someone about this. So, you know, I always like to say confession is good for the soul. It's bad for the reputation. And so I was a partier before I came to know Jesus. And um, I drank some, but I loved drugs and hallucinogens. That was my thing. And I remember like growing up when I was a partier, I'd be like, man, I can't wait to have kids. So I'm going to teach my kids how to roll my joints for me. Like I, I had this whole big world that I made up in my head. I know none of you can imagine me thinking these crazy thoughts, but I did. And I remember when I got saved and then it was like immediately the spirit of God is like, yeah, you know, like that whole thing, that's just not me. That's like, you've done that. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. You know, it's like, you wouldn't be like, hey, Jesus, you want to smoke this joint? No, you're not going to say that to Jesus. No, you're not. And even if you did, Jesus would be like, no, let me heal you, you know. But I remember when they legalized marijuana here in the state of Washington, I was like, man, this is like my stoner years dreams of like a 7-Eleven of pot. Like I just thought it was, this is the most amazing thing. And I was actually talking to some folks on staff. I'm like, I just want to go like look inside one to see what it looks like. And they're like, you didn't, did you? And I'm like, no. Can you imagine the scandal? <sighs> the curiosity kills the cat and kills Fusco. But... <laughs> But they're like, so you're never tempted? I'm like, no, I'm still tempted. I smell people smoking weed, and I'm like, that smells good. That's what my brain says. And then the Spirit of God says, that's not good. But the problem is, is the ways of the flesh is your default. That's how this works. Walking in the flesh is what we did before Jesus. So all of us have the ways of the flesh. Whatever your struggles were, they're well-grooved in your heart. They're well-grooved in there. And it's so easy to fall right back into that groove. It happens almost effortlessly, no matter how far you're away from it. But every time I have that thought, oh, that smells good, my next thought is, but God. Because God has delivered me from that, even though that temptation might still exist, I realize that if I do that, it's going to mess up my relationship with God. It will mess up my relationship with my wife, my kids. It will mess up my ability to do what I've been called to do as a child of God. And it will hurt people. And all, like the, the fallout is so enormous that I'm like, even though I might be tempted to do it, I'm going to give the gift of purity to my future self. And I just use myself as an example because all of us have to do this. All of us have to do this in all these different areas of our lives. Why? Because God's promises for us are not just about this life. It goes on into eternity. Ages upon ages without end is an awfully long time. And that is something that we want to prepare ourselves for. I like to always tell you, you've heard me say it a million times, that the life that Jesus had for us is not giving up this life for the next life. We give up our self-styled version of this life so we can have the abundant life on this side of eternity and we get ages upon ages after it. And so we always want to be thinking with the eyes of eternity, or I like to say, we need to think with the long view. 
What does your eternal self really value? When you get past the moment of temptation, those emotions and feelings and desires, what does the eternal parts of who you are, what do you really value? What do you really want? And lean into that. Listen to the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. The promise that we have in Jesus is eternal life. Listen to Jesus himself. This is John chapter three, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, the exhortation is to think about eternity and the implications to say, not just what do I want now, but what will myself in five years want? What will myself in 10 years want? What will myself in 30 years want? And then what will myself in eternity want? And start to live that way today. Now, if you're here, whether you're in our sanctuary and you're joining us online, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to do the exact same thing. Because I'm here to tell you, you want to see the person you're going to be in five years, you can just look at what you're doing right now times it by five, and that's where you're going to end up at. So if you're cynical now, you're going to be that much more cynical later. If you're struggling with addiction now, you're going to be that much more addicted later with all the health fallout. And the thing is, is what I also want to tell you is eternity also matters. Because even if you don't believe all of us were created for eternity, everybody lives an eternal life. It's just a matter of where and in what context. And that's just not like a fear tactic. It's like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We live, and then when we die, then there's the judgment. And all of us have an eternal hereafter. It's just a matter, are you with Jesus or not? And one of the things I will tell you, you young folks today, and even those of you who are older, in a culture that doesn't value Jesus, what good is it to be embraced by the world and lost to your father when eternity is a long time? We need to make decisions with eternity in mind. So much of what we do should literally be like, how is this going to impact not only my life and my lifetime, but on into eternity? Now, what I love is that David brings this psalm home, and he really lands the plane so beautifully. Because look at that second half of verse 6. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, God's house is where we belong. You know, I so love that as we were worshiping together today, you know, and God bless Pastor Mikey Moore and our worship ministry. It's like, so grateful for him and his leadership. And, but you notice the whole theming of all of our worship is, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for every song. That's not by chance. That's because as Pastor Mikey and the team are looking at what we're going to be talking about, and they're, and they're like, how do we place that into songs for us to worship? We all belong in the Father's house. Now, this is fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Now, if you think of the story of King David, if you recall, when David worshiped, he brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, but there was no temple yet. If you remember, David had a passion 
to build the temple for the Lord. And the Lord said, actually, because you have so much blood on your hands, you're a warrior, you're not allowed. But your son will build it. And David, when God said, you can't build it, David said, well, if I can't build it, I can fund it. And David started to collect wood and all these resources so that when it was time for Solomon to build the temple, David had already put together all these resources for it. But David, there is no house of the Lord. There is no permanent structure. And David's like, but I'm going to dwell in God's house forever. So in the Hebrew language, this is called the prophetic perfect tense. It's something that hasn't happened yet, but he's talking about as if it's already happened because he believes that God is going to do that. And David is trusting because he has hope, because the Lord is a shepherd and he knows how to be content because God has let him lay down in green pastures, led him beside still waters. Even when David went through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't fear evil because his rod and his staff, they comforted him. Oh, and then God set a banquet before him in the presence of his enemies God restored his soul and his cup ran over. Because of that, David's like, I'm going to dwell in God's house forever. And for David, God's house isn't just the temple, but it's in the family of God. It's with the people of God. Listen to Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, David's longing was to find home again, like we talked about. To find that place of belonging. That place where God's beauty is on display. And, of course, we know from the Bible that that is designed to be the family of God, the people of God. And every family has a place that they dwell in. Family life happens in a dwelling place. And your desire and my desire, because of the presence of God and because of the fact that God's promises extend on into eternity, is to say, I want to dwell in God's family. That's why here at Crosses, we always talk about that we're a family of faith who's what? Fully engaged. Because what that means is that we believe that the only way we will feel fully whole as people is when we are in relationship with other people of different backgrounds and age groups and we serve one another. We all are teachers and students. We learn together. We, some people bring this, some people bring that, and, and we do this thing together. And I just want to commend you as the Crosses family. I feel privileged to be just a part of this family. And it's like, it's so fun when I hang out with pastor friends and I say like, you know, what's God doing at Crosses? It looks amazing. I'm like, man, it is just gorgeous what God is doing. Because you're all saying, I'm going to make being a part of the family of God important. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel tried to give you an idea of how much God loves you and how complete his love is for you. God loves you so much that he made a plan for getting you out of the messes that happened to you. Whether you caused them or not, you also learned that God's got an idea for a family 
that is way beyond what we can grasp and that it's a lot better than anything we can come up with or could think of coming up with. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will begin his teaching, Life in Response. You'll be talking about reactions and how they differ from responses. You'll find out that reactions come out of our natural selves, while responses have to be learned from spending time with Jesus and being willing to be changed into His likeness. This process, you'll discover, is what becoming a disciple is all about. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Wild. It's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.